0: Welcome back to another edition of Inside the Passion of Music and Art, Rhythm and Voice. I'm here with theatrical director, Sasha Bratt. My man bounces from New York to Connecticut and back and forth doing his thing, making pieces of written work come to life. So tell me, You get the call for this new project that you're working on. Who's the call from? What's it about? Well,
1: I get the call from uh, Jackie and Dan, who i worked with here before. The original call actually came a year ago, when I had no interaction uh, with them previously. I knew Ivoryton Playhouse, um, starting to get more work in the area, and they invited me down to talk just about the work they do, the upcoming season, and I got my first uh, main stage directing here. And what I really found here um, was, was a family, was, was a theatrical art producing family from backstage to producing um, to the talent that they brought in. It was uh, one of the best working experiences I've had. So I was excited to stay connected. I came to see all the shows for the season. Even when I wasn't involved in it personally, I felt invested in the work that was being done here after just working on one show here. And um, that came to follow conversations about what we would do, could do in the future, and we were talking about main stage work, but I had also done a lot of work in new play development and uh, working with playwrights at different stages um, of that play development. So when Iverton announced that they were going to do this women's theater initiative... Tell me a little bit about that. Well, you know, it came about that I, I, I had read about it kind of with everyone else in the press release and I was excited about it because there's, uh, while there's um, so many talented uh, female playwrights, it's a known fact of how there's a disproportionate amount of male playwrights produced say on Broadway and off Broadway and so that these opportunities coming up to hear um, women's voices as playwrights uh, and the stories that they're telling and, and finding an opportunity to, um, find balance where in an industry where we find so much balance and different gender identity and, and, uh, gender and belief systems, but to see that actually put into practice. So I was excited about that for the theater and also for the theater to be going down a path of new works where they work so much on, um, musicals and known quantities to see, uh, them investing in that. And that part of the process was very exciting for me. But at first, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to step in the way of anyone else who might be interested in working on on new plays and and working with women playwrights. And I've I've done that before, and it's very exciting. But I wasn't sure if they were also looking for only female directors. So I was kind of staying out of it and was going to come enjoy it as as a patron and not necessarily as a as an artist. But as we were talking about directing uh, Biloxi Blues which is coming up in April in in one of those emails and phone calls there was the offer to also come work on one of the four play readings that's going to happen as part of the as part of the Women's Playwright Initiative so right.
0: so let's do a little rundown on the initiative you have for playwrights, I understand they sent out a call to playwrights all over the country. They yeah, it was over... a
1: nationwide call, and uh, Laura Copeland, uh, who just took over directing new uh, director of new works and new play initiatives at Iverson Playhouse, uh, has set all this up and kind of set up the structure, and we and the the call goes out and. She read through all the submissions, and I think her and uh, Jackie Hubbard, our artistic director, went through the finalists to pick the four plays that we're gonna end up producing in a reading or a workshop environment. And we have a local Connecticut playwright, Vermont, Chicago, flying them in. They're gonna be here for a week workshop. Uh, We had auditions, both for the main stage season, but also for the initiative as a whole. So four directors, myself and the three other directors for the reading series were all there together to see uh, the auditions for our plays now how
0: were you selected for your specific
1: play do you know i don't you know that's a good question um much like as a director when you cast someone there's you think there's a there's sometimes there's an obvious fit and sometimes there's a gut feeling fit and uh i think on this one and you know, the feedback that i got was that this that this was a strong piece and that you know I, i've worked a lot my play the play that i directed here last year was a a two-hander, a two-person play. I've done a lot of those recently. You kind of get stuck in weird rhythms for a while. Sometimes you direct a whole bunch of Shakespeare shows in a row, you direct a whole bunch of new plays in a row. The last four plays I did were two-handers, so I have a certain eye, I guess, recently for keeping that energy going and not letting that get boring and telling a, an emotional story. So this story. play
0: that you're going to be directing is another two-hander. It's another
1: two-hander, yeah. It's a, it's a story about uh, an 80-something-year-old woman who's going in for... It's not overtly stated right away, but she's getting questioned by a doctor who ends up being a psychologist, uh psychiatrist, and he's... It's her first intake uh, report that he's giving as she's possibly going through parts of dementia Um it's, it's not clear in the beginning is that just his hypothesis is that what she's actually going through she's seems in control of her facilities but in her faculties but there's also parts of her that are seem a little off for lack of a better term and so he's trying to find out what part of this is her personality because she definitely has a lot of character and um, she can be feisty at times. And what part of it is is her? Is it just natural aging, and what part of it is pos- possible dementia? So, we we have this young, 20-something, late 20s doctor figuring out what's going on uh, in the brain and body of this older woman. And there, there's kind of a mutual learning that's happening between them. So, in that casting process, we're looking for someone who is, you know, older and can handle this comedic and sincere. Uh, approach and, and then the younger man in the doctor we have looking for someone who is both eager to find out new things but also has a caring bedside manner um, but a little bit is looking for to be the next i don't know great psychologist and, and, and make a breakthrough in aging in the brain and dementia studies so there's there's a lot going on in a small intimate play and that's what i kind of like about it. there's there's the micro issues of their personal relationship and then the macro of uh, many of us, myself included, have have dealt with family members going through that and watching um, what they know and what they don't know and when they, when they seem to be in control in other times uh, when they're not. So um, I think it can affect audiences based on where they are in their own life, but also in the story in itself. And I, I, like, I like looking for that when I'm working on a new play or any play. What is the, the macro story? Um, kind of the universal themes any audience can can relate to. You know, there, there's plays about war and peace and nationality and race. And you don't have to be all those things to understand the human story that goes behind it. But then there's the micro story of, of relationships and familial issues uh, that we can have direct connection to. And I think a good play finds a way of having those universal themes with very intimate Connections between the actors and the audience.
0: Well, old age and and uh, senility, dementia. I think that touches all genders, races. It's part of the human experience. And before we knew it was uh, dementia or senility, it was just old age.
1: Just old age, right? And uh, I, I was thinking about that recently with in in other in other diagnosis. You know, a nervous breakdown is can now be anxiety or depression, and there's and there's different ways that we look at it, and there's different ways we accept it, and how we can treat it, and or how we can accept it. And uh, and you're right, it, and it, it always seems when we're looking at these things, and it depends, on I guess, on what age you see it. You know, when I saw my grandmother going through some, some aspects of this, you know, in, in some ways she was always an older woman in my mind, but as my mom watched her, she was watching her mother go through this, who was not always an older woman. And as my grandfather watched it, he was, someone who knew her since she was a very young woman. And so there's three perspectives on the same person. And when you're younger watching it as the doctor is in a certain sense, and of course he deals with this and he knows about it, but there's, I guess, more of a distance of that it happens there but i'm sure it could happen to me but that seems so far off but as i don't know as we get older as we get closer to such things it doesn't you know it, these things can happen to you and i think there's and and what i like about this play is these kind of unlikely friendships that can form in in places of trust and and intimacy and and we see that in this play an in intake and that's just one of the four plays uh that were that were presenting as part of the women's playwright initiative
0: wonderful I mean the whole you know talking about the play that you're directing definitely touches a chord with me because mm. not too long ago I was taking care of uh, looking after my mom who was diagnosed with uh, dementia and uh, you know I had to explain The distinction between like wait this is her personality like oh well she's no I mean she's stubborn and willful (laughs) and that's just who she is right you know so you have to kind of let the you know the clinical people who are uh you know experts in the field so to speak you kind of have to guide them to no this is her person like she's always been like behaves this way and she's no, she's she doesn't know you. She's not gonna <laughs> let you like put your hands on her and no. touch her, like without permission. Right. You right. know, so it's it's a very and in a sense it really helped me to appreciate the aspects of her character mm. that I didn't fully appreciate until this time period. You know, she's a strong individual. You know what I mean? Right, she's right. a strong-willed person. She doesn't want to ask for help. All right, so you have to cast this. Uh, you pretty much established to the your take on, on the two different characters mm-hmm. and the, the relationship that they have, both on a, a micro, interpersonal, intimate level, um, as well as uh, the macro. So, all right, so let's start with the eighty six year old female
1: well, it's you know it's 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 tough because you're most likely not gonna get uh an eighty year old to walk into the theater and be ready to go and ready to find the minutiae of all the different things that this person has to go through I mean, and it's what what it's actually kind of lovely about this play is that there are older actresses who might have aged out of certain roles and, and obviously still have plenty to give and plenty talent that, that doesn't always have the opportunity to be seen because those parts aren't written for them. So one of the things I was excited about was a part that was written for an older uh, female actor who uh, could tackle something like this and, and maybe bring some something else to it. So we have a lot of people come in who were uh, just too young for the role. And, and How young is too young? Uh, yeah, well, you know, it's 40, 40, but I mean, I, I, you know, there's a, there's a rule you can't ask an actor their age because, uh, then you could get into involved in age discrimination. Oh, that's right. So you can never ask if you're at an audition table, you can't ask an actor their age. You kind of have to just have a sense of what they play now. If then there's little, I wouldn't say tricks, but there's things around this. If the, if you're going to cast the Dr. Younger well, then you can cast the the patient younger as well, and you still have that dichotomy. However, in this case, we had uh, an actor come in, and I, I had actually seen her uh, audition for a play here before. Very lovely, connected to the theater, very uh, a great patron of Ivoryton. And when Maggie came in, she read for the part with a twinkle in her eye and, and, a, and a certain spark about her. and. You know, she she's not not a frail person at all, but 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 uh, just fit right. You know, I think could could play that role, um, and probably uh, had aged out of some other roles that she might have been interested in a few years ago, and and so has the energy to bring a ton of life to it. Because this is not a, this is not a an 80 year old actor who um, not the actor, sorry, an 80 year old character who is at death's door this is an 80 year old character who is has tons of uh spunk and life and uh, even though she's going through this process right now i was very worried about casting that especially you know in in a a smaller pool uh, of actors where we are it was not a case where we could necessarily you know we're not going to new york to bring in a, a larger pool of actors so when maggie walked in and um I don't think I don't think she's as old as our character and it didn't didn't matter. It was more that she had the vitality and the both the sweet and the sour in her reading of the play that could that I said, I could believe this, this is what I wanna hear and then that was the harder casting to start with. So once that was established I could look for a doctor character who could play off of her, who she could um befriend and also confuse and also make think. And so then we found Michael. And he came in to read for a couple different um, for the season auditions. And I was very happy about and excited for his work. And so I just thought they'd be great together. So part of that's a, a gut feeling. I never had the chance to hear them read together. They audition on different days. And a two-hand play is so much about chemistry. Um, so a lot of that is also going on some intuition that... Right. I mean, you're really rolling the dice. I'm rolling the dice. Yeah. I mean, the last, oh gosh, the, the last two-person play I directed... Uh, not the last one, but uh, I directed Tuesdays with Maury, another play about aging and the body and a younger and older pairing. And in that casting, uh, I found my Maury very quickly, um, but the Mitches who came in just, I don't know, they didn't have, they, the part asked for someone to be a storyteller as as well as, a narrator, as well as someone in the moment. And it's a hard balance to go back and forth on sometimes and I had one person do a video audition and I said to myself, there's no way, this is such an intimate play, I need to see these two characters together to know what's gonna work and I very rarely have been able to hire someone off of only a video audition i usually have to call them in and make sure that they have the chemistry but the earnestness that this actor had in the video i just went with it and i just went on my gut feeling and we had this beautiful production and those two actors became lifelong friends in the process and they worked beautifully together so oh wow i guess that's the good version of the story but and and to this day i'm still friends uh well with both of them but I, i chat with the the actor who he lives in cleveland and i chat with him uh often and and I just, I can't believe I hired you from a video, <laughs> you know, like, we, he's still pretty appreciative of it too, but you know, it's, he was, it's hard, I, I figured that if you can be earnest and honest on a, on a video, you can be earnest and honest in person, um, because there's a lot that gets lost in the, uh, you know, in the Skype audition, I suppose, so... Um, I'm, Skype audition. Uh, yeah, it's, it's the 21st century now, I guess, but this is, uh, well, so take me through a
0: Skype audition. What's the difference? How does it go down? In this
1: case, it was recorded. So, so it wasn't a live Skype audition, but he recorded himself. I sent him the sides. So he had three scenes. So he had a monologue, two monologues from the play. And then he read with, I think his wife off camera. Um, and then they also needed him to show they could play piano too. So he had a little keyboard set up and he wasn't the greatest piano player but he was good enough to he just had to remember how to play and he did um so it was a lot of uh so there's a lot it's it's hard to get that to know that human spark but you know when I audition a show in New York and I have when we did Biloxi Blues auditions I think we saw about 120 people come through in an eight hour period and so much of it and it's 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 what makes it a tough business and an unfair business sometimes so much of it is that first impression of that first impulse or does this person feel like the part that you think they are? But also allowing yourself as a director because you haven't cast it yet to allow yourself. I always believe that you have to allow yourself to be surprised and allow yourself to uh, be fluid in the process. So if someone comes in and changes my perspective of what a character should, could be, I get super excited about that. And it doesn't always change, but then I can call that person back and read them with other people. But I've definitely cast people where I they walk in and I say, well, that's not what I imagined for this. But if I'm so rigid that I cut them off there. I'll never see what they're capable of. So I like to stay open to the process. I mean, that's what this, this, this business is all about. This creation of, of this work is all about, you know, collaboration gets thrown around a lot, but it it really is about that collaboration of how these people can, can work and trust and play together in such a way that the audience will believe what they're saying and, and have a connection. And if you don't have that connection between the actors You're never going to get it between the actors and the audience, which is ultimately what we're trying to do. One of the reasons I love working on new plays is that it it reinforces my belief of how unselfish this craft and this world that we live in can be. And the playwright is working on their play alone, you know, these beautiful worlds they're creating in their heads and writing in paper, and they have to give that away. So that's the first act of giving that happens, and they give it to the director who takes it. takes those words and sees a world around it and creates a concept and takes that idea and gives it to the designers to do their art who build the sound and the set and the lights. And, and there's a whole nother level of art that then gets added onto the director who's already added onto the playwright. And then you take that whole image and pass it down to the, to the actors who create their characters out of nothing and and bring them to life and, and fullness. Um, and then finally, after working on it for four or five weeks, give it over to the audience who are the ultimate recipients of this so it really just starts with one person with a pen or a keyboard in a room and then goes to hundreds of people hopefully you know night after night and that the work I laugh sometimes or uh, when you go to open night and and the, the applause that comes and there's the opening night party and it's it's wonderful to be in a business that congratulates itself on the work that it does but it's not really congratulating itself it's congratulating the the I don't know the openness yeah and 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 and, and there's a there's a real you know uh, it's a bond but it's also there's a selflessness in what i think a lot of people perceive to be a selfish industry and there's a selflessness of one's emotions and people don't like being vulnerable typically or emotional and that's a world that we're used to living in so the theater live theater real emotions in a moment stories that we can connect to on a macro and micro level and all that happening in the present tense not on film but having to be right in that moment it's so hard for us to be present tense I should say it's so hard for me but it just seems that that's where we are now so for that all to exist it's you're not celebrating a night you're selling I mean as corny as it sounds you're celebrating almost like this capacity of our humanity and how it all culminates in 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 that presentation and how a thousand things could go wrong but and that's what makes it also exciting and and, and right and and true and good and that bad plays can have great productions great plays can have bad productions and how do you get it all to be a unified singular and that's that's what i get excited about as a director that i, have, I get the opportunity to author this action from the moment an audience walks in to the moment they leave, and how do I synthesize all that together, but not be in control of it? Also, I'm not. I'm not a set designer. I'm not an actor. I'm not a uh, a sound designer or a playwright. But we have to find out. I have to help make all those things work in unison, like a conductor with an orchestra. I, I don't know how all the. I can't play an oboe. Right. But it, but I need to know how it sounds with a bassoon and how those two should sound together with the with the string section and if i can make it all sing together then i'm doing my job if i'm trying to micromanage and do all the work then i'm doing other people's jobs that i'm not qualified to do
0: trust trust is something yeah. that really comes to mind and i think that when you are celebrating with your opening night party you're celebrating trust like vulnerability and there's a beauty to that right yeah
1: yeah there's a real beauty to that and and that goes into also the people that you know not not everyone gets to do a job that they love and even this job not everyone gets to do it every day it's a cutthroat difficult business in terms of getting work and and being a working artist but the joy comes from that those moments of not just the work that you're doing, but the people that you're doing it with and the the passions that go into it and just to be so passionate about storytelling or art or bringing things to life. I didn't even know that was in me as I was getting involved in theater, but it kind of slowly... Now, you started me. out as an actor. I did, yeah. I mean, I was kind of a high school into college actor type person and I did it because it was fun and I liked it and I I guess I was good at it because other people said I was but it just mostly just liked doing it and then I started to not get cast in shows in college because it was a little bit more I guess a greater pool of talent and I got frustrated so I wrote my own play for myself and then I directed my own little play for myself and uh the next thing I knew the theater department was telling me that it, that was that went well and that I should direct more plays and so I did and every time I thought I was done with theater because uh, I was like, okay, that was fun I'll, I'll do that again later another time another project came or another theater company I went to work for and all of a sudden I realized well this is I guess I can do this for a living and I love it and uh, um, it's taken me up and down the east coast for now and maybe further in the future but it's uh i think the most important thing is that it's the people that i've gotten to work with and and kind of brings me back to 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 doing two projects this this season with iverton i'm going to work on the play reading series which is something that i i work on a lot in my own career and so i'm happy to work on it here and also on the main stage and because this is a place of artists that i in one show that I've enjoyed so much working with and that you don't get that every place you go, but you, I've had the pleasure and the for, you know, I've been fortunate to build a team around me in different places I've been and the people that you can trust and who see the importance of art or how to create it and do it in a similar way. Or in a totally different way, but but respect those differences and, and work better because of them. It doesn't it doesn't have to be all. It has it, it's all in sync though, and, and and just finding those people that you like to, you know, great dance partners basically, and um and that's what that's what we're doing here. And I, I got to create get together a huge, a great team for the work that I'm doing here this season, and I'm just so excited about it. Oh, it sounds awesome.
0: Now let's go back to the casting for a
1: bit. Sure. For
0: any actors out there that might be listening. I mean, you were an actor, you started out acting, you experienced some uh, frustration. Uh, I believe it's awesome that you took the initiative, like, hey, look, I'll write my own thing so I can be in it, make it one man, direct it and stuff, and and look what you found. Right. Uh, It was like, you know, gold. Or you, yeah. you're calling, so to speak, but for actors who are experiencing frustration with the casting process, and this is something that we've talked about off mic, like what are some of the top three tips mm. that you could give them going into uh, an audition?
1: It's a really, it's a really good question. Um, well, one thing I think to get me to that is that every opportunity that you can be seen. Is a good opportunity and um, that goes to directing too that there's some of the jobs that i've gotten have come come from the jobs i haven't gotten but trying to present the best version of yourself if you don't get it it's not personal but being as authentic as possible in the two minutes to five minutes that you have with someone can can mean a lot i've authentic authenticity is huge at least for me uh and i'm sure for most directors that you know I, I can see on a resume places you've been and people you've worked with, but when, when I know that I'm gonna be asking so much of someone and I'm gonna asking them to trust me, um, I try to create an audition room that that mirrors that, so that I, I try to be very, um, not cold, but very, um, Warm and inviting in that, in that, and I, and I hope to see the same thing because that's the kind of team that I'm hoping to bring together. People who are willing to work hard and be open. So not only are you casting
0: for a specific role mm. that you have in, in mind or to get off of the page, but you're casting to be a part of
1: a team. It's the ensemble. I right. I, 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 you know, years ago. Um, when I started grad school, the thought I would hear phrases like "What kind of director are you?" I'd apply to things, and they say "What kind of director are you?" and I never knew what to say. I hadn't figured that out yet. And then um, I had talked to one of my mentors and and kind of told him the work I had done and what, was, what I was passionate about. He goes, "I think you're just uh, you you create beautiful, trusting ensembles. You're an ensemble director. You know, you you work for the actors, and that was the highest compliment that I could have gotten." So, so I do keep that in mind. And there's been times where. I think there have been an incredibly talented actor walked into the room, but I didn't know if they were right for the ensemble for the way that they were acting. I don't know. I I don't know. And maybe, and again, like, but but who knows what they're coming into the room with too. So I I don't, I try not to prejudge anything that comes in, but what I'm looking for is someone who's, uh, you know, puts the good of the whole above themselves, which again, how do you see that? How do you make that work in, in, well, someone who's a good minutes. fit, right? Right, and and but so, sometimes
0: an actor can be so big, right? Can have such a big, uh, you know, presence and vibe and personality that I, that could and be really great and talented mm-hmm. even the most talented one that you've seen no. but not right
1: for the mix right because and they're too strong almost. because it's not unless you're doing a one-man show or one person show it's not a one it's not about one person it's about everyone that you put on stage and how they work together um that's one of the things i'm really excited about biloxi blues because um it's I've done so many two-handers recently that this is going to be a, an eight or nine person show, but that company of soldiers is almost on stage the whole time. And and so I had to find who I thought would be this group of soldiers who would both play together, fight together, annoy each other, distrust each other, um, mess around with each other, and yet not know each other they're all getting on a bus at the same time so it's that so there had to be a certain energy um that i was looking for and it was it, it's ex, you know it's it's exciting to look for so so in terms of the advice that that's top you know, three things top three things is is, is authenticity authenticity is one i care about who you are two is it's hard for me to i don't want to tell someone that they're a second choice right but there's people who come in who are just not right for the role and who I try to follow up with for other projects. So I, I keep them in mind. So to... to
0: like someone could make an impression.
1: Right. But they're not right for the role, but they stay
0: in the... Back. And that's like what you were saying before. Right. Just because you're not getting it
1: paves the way for getting something else. It has to. And, and and I've worked with a lot of people who I've called up years later and I said, and, they, and these are people who audition all the time. I don't even think they remembered auditioning for me, but I said, you auditioned for me for this. I have this other thing coming up. I'd love you to come out and read for it. And they came out and they got the part, you know. And I can't guarantee anything, but it's you've stayed in my head. I think you're a really talented actor. Um, you just weren't right for the last project that we that we did. And so I think knowing that that's how people might be thinking about you, even if it's it's a tough business, and if it's not going well in the couple minutes that you have there, I've seen people give up toward like as as their audition's ending. They can see that the director is not going to cast them for this. They see it, and then they everything that they have just kind of drops. and and i think seeing someone who is giving their all if this works out great and if it doesn't it was great to meet you that i I guess that goes back to authenticity but there's that idea of from when you walk in the door to you walk out you are still presenting yourself and i think that's also probably the third one too which is that you're not just auditioning for the director i've had people if i have someone who's helping coordinate auditions who's sitting outside checking people in who the feedback has been that the I've had people be extremely rude to those people and then extremely nice in the room ah. and, and, and to think that that doesn't get back to me because they're part of my team I'm also hiring I'm working with them as well they're going to be part of this theater that you want to get hired for so you know it's something I, when I teach I tell my students this maybe it just goes back to the golden rule I don't know but I just tell people you know just be a human just be just be good to other people and you're coming in and it's not easy and there's a cattle call of people sometimes But but when you're dealing with anyone you know the best version of you is is what we're trying to hire and um so if you're if you're not going to be kind to the person who's checking your name and I don't know how I can trust you to be kind with everyone else uh so that that's one of those things that when you're at an audition you're at an audition you're making an impression on everyone again when you're going from one to the other it can be frustrating so I, I try I really do keep in mind that I know how hard it is and I know how sometimes I'm the fourth audition and it's frustrated at the end of the day so I try to take all that into account and if I just like I ask for the same thing taking into account that I just saw 100 people that the person who's at the desk is dealing with all the scheduling and that if we can take care of each other well that's where that's where good things will happen all right so what is authenticity two is from the moment you walk into the moment you leave you're giving the best version of yourself three is be nice and be a human to people <laughs> just be good to everyone that you uh that you're dealing with Awesome.
0: Yeah. So we're hanging out here at the Iverton Playhouse in Iverton, Connecticut. Uh, Sasha's about to go into a production meeting for Biloxi Blues. Uh, you've had a wonderful relationship with this great theater, but you've worked in the city. Tell me, what is it about the intimacy of being in the, like, a
1: smaller town playhouse as opposed to the big city? They're, they're both great. Wherever you can do work, it's great to be doing it, but it's also nice... Um, it's something I used to to think about that you know wherever you are, you know what do you bring to that audience? What do you bring to that community? And what I love about Ivoryton and places that I worked for in Connecticut, I've worked in the Berkshires and D.C. and and in New York, a place like this has a really loyal audience and has built a community around this playhouse. And Jackie's been uh, leading it for 25 years and really turned this place. Uh, kind of returned it to its past uh, glories in so many ways, which this was a has a great history of great actors who would come out here. Uh, if you ever walk through the wall, you know, walk into the theater and look on the walls of all the great actors, um, it's a really a who's who of film and, and television and theater stars who came out here to do summer shows back in the earlier part of the 19, 1900s, uh, 20th century. But what I like is that they producing, you're bringing in professional, you know, professional New York actors or actors from other places working with local actors. So you're putting on the highest quality of shows right here. And that the audience here responds to that, you know, that, that there's theaters that struggle all over the country that you could be putting on the best work, but it doesn't, if the audience doesn't come to have that connection connection and that live theater, you know, like, you know, we, I, there's a director, uh, there is a director, Jack O'Brien and I, and I was listening to a talk he gave and he said, you know, our job is in a world where we're constantly distracted or could have so much easier access to entertainment or don't have to leave our house for anything how do you convince someone that coming here and you can't just tell them because it's important and that art's important you have to give them a reason to spend more money to get out of their house to put their phones down and to have a live connection like yeah, you were saying yeah it's, like and you it's, know and in it's, the it's, present and it's and it's hard to do and 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 there's part of you that just says you should do that but there's part of that you have to earn that and i think the work that's done here the people who run this care so much about the work that they put on and then the people and and i think that reflects and that rubs off on the people that they bring in and that the people bring in see the passion that the the year-round employees and artists have and so you have this great um uh, symbiosis of i think that's the word i want Um, of symbiotic relationship between outside actors who are coming in and uh, theater technicians and crew and staff and artists and designers who are local uh, who are just working together to put on the best art that they know how. For their audiences, and to challenge their audiences, and to entertain their audiences, to encourage and to educate. There's just so much that you know different shows can do, and that's that's what we hope to do.
0: Now, the one-act play that you're directing. What's the name of the play? It's called Intake by Margot Lasher. Intake by Margot, and you've had some correspondence with Margot. We,
1: we've had some correspondence, but you know, we've, we've kind of held back our deeper conversations of the play till our first rehearsal, which will be today. We have a, a week workshop, uh, we're going to work on the play with the actors. So, we've had kind of an, uh, neither one of us at, at this point want to delve too deep until we heard it out loud, which is such you know, that the out loud reading. Instantly teaches a playwright more than just the work that they do on the page. So um, We're gonna have our first read-through today.
0: Can you give me an example of that in the past where you've had sure
1: Uh, I worked on a play um, With a great playwright named Gabriel Jason Dean. We worked on a play uh, in DC called quality as a starlight and uh, We were kind of paired up together through this festival uh, Source festival in DC. It's a new work festival and he was in Texas at the time finishing his MFA in playwriting I was in DC finishing my MFA in directing, and we got paired up. We had a couple conversations about the play. I said, here's what I here's what I see. Here's the the themes and stuff I see. And he, he was, we instantly connected, and, and we had this, and he's like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I was trying to write. I can't believe that, that's wonderful. And, and we became friends instantly from across the country. And then we had our first reading. I just watched him, and that's, the, I guess, the difference between someone who writes and a playwright, as he heard the play, he had no problem editing as he was going. He was crossing out entire pages and sections, just saying, oh, I said that three times. And as he heard the words, the words, you know, because there's a certain music, to, um, there's a certain poetry and music to playwriting. And, and he wrote very melodically, and he could hear that the music of his words, for lack of a better term, term, had been either already done or wasn't as dynamic as it could be. So he was just, or uh, small words here, just, you know, don't say that. Just end the sentence here, and, and stuff that one an audience will never know the difference, but the play will be better off for that. So just hearing it out loud uh, versus in his head changed not the not the plot of the play, but just the it made the makes the dialogue more realistic for the playwright to play with. Um, I just did a reading in Hartford, and the same thing happened. We had about a, a six-hour rehearsal, and in that time. Just little, just little edits just to keep the play as realistic and moving forward as possible. And then that little edits have kind of like a, you know, a butterfly effect, have a big impact on the rest of the play and the life that, that will come from it. So, yeah. Now, have you ever, when reading a play, mm.
0: read it aloud? Like you're, something that you're planning to direct. Mm. Like you go through it, you read it. You're like, all right, and then have you ever just just started reading it aloud?
1: Uh, I'll do it with the playwright sometimes, or but but not not that, by yourself. That, not, that's not my uh, uh, routine usually by myself. I did that a couple times in college, but when that was more for academic classes that I when I was before I got super into Shakespeare, I was taking a Shakespeare class in college, and I just I, like, I'm losing this on the page, and I grabbed four of my friends who were also in the class, and we just read it in a circle and, and understood it a thousand times better by hearing it out loud, but in terms of... Which, you know, it's funny to hear you say that, because I I, I read... I'm a new play reader for Source Festival in D.C., for the O'Neill National Playwrights Festival, and for my own reading series um, at Playhouse on Park in West Hartford, so I read new plays all the time, so I guess in my head I don't have... Um, the time and the quiet time to read them out loud all the Mm -hmm. time I'm kind of getting through a lot of them but also um, it is a different experience and there's been plays that I've read that I've been mediocre on but I've I've thought you know I need to hear I need to hear this with actors because the actors will make more choices and the plays you know Shakespeare audience would always say you know do you want to go hear a play they never said do you want to go see a play it was an audio experience and it still is so it's it's hard to sit and read 20 plays you can, I, I can decipher what I, what I need to out of it, but it's still only the first step of the life it's going to take and the place it's going right. to go. So, so yeah, I, that's not a process I do, um, now, but it's an important part of the process once I start working. Um, with the playwrights and because that's when you're open to all the
0: all the change yeah. and the different like life forms and, it, it
1: and it's important uh you know when i'm working uh with a playwright on that to what as we're hearing it out loud my job i've always think my job in new play development is to let the playwright's words be heard you know when i'm directing a play a full production that's more where there's what's the unified vision and concept of this play and that stuff's important Important when you're doing a play reading, but you have less time for rehearsal. It's really, I think my job is getting the playwright's story out. So I try not to get in the way of the play. I think the director's job in a reading is to get out of the way, but also to help the playwright see the the the, the best path through, kind of like a running back in football. You know, like I'm a lineman. I'm just gonna I'm gonna make the hole and then let them run with their with their hand. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's been times where I'll make a suggestion, but I have no ego involved. I'll say I don't know. Uh, if this if i'll just i like to ask questions you know what do you what what are you trying to achieve with this do you think this achieves this great if you do great if you want my opinion on it whether it does not ask me questions i'll take care of that but my job is not to rewrite the play for the playwright my job is to create an atmosphere the playwright can do the rewrite themselves awesome yeah well i can't wait to uh it's going to be a fun, fun weekend, it. March 3rd and 4th. We're going to have four readings, two on the 3rd, two on the 4th, and intake is on the on the 4th, but people should come to all of them if they can. It's, it's always great to support theater, but it's even better to support uh, new works and new playwrights. All right. Well, thank you, Sasha Bratt. Thank you, Lamai. I appreciate it. All right. And uh, thanks for listening to another
0: episode of Inside the Passion. And right now we are so inside the passion. We're sitting in Sasha's sedan outside of the theater right before he has to go in for a, uh, a big production meeting. So uh, check out the website. We're going to have some pictures up there. I'm going to try to get in on some of these uh, rehearsals and, and snap a few. Uh, and uh, we'll have some links up. Check it out inside the thanks sasha thank you